episode 18. Don't believe your own BS. Introducing Danny Gleason on the BTS Creative Academy podcast. With me, your host, Martin Colton. It's quite nervy, isn't it? Nervy? Sit down nervy. with me. In, yeah. I feel like it's... Well, it's. I don't know, it's because you're asking me my opinions on things. And Am I? Am I going to ask you? Normally I have to force them upon people. I don't know. <laughs> 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 Danny, can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah. Good, good, good. Yes, and I'm glad you're coming through on this here because this is blocked. Oh, good. But you can hear yourself as well, because that's... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can hear myself. You can hear yourself. You know the mic's working. Yes. Good. Well, good. when I blow... One, two, one, two. Hang on. Let me oh, try this. Like I said, uh, Open the bottle of water. Does this work? Yeah, I can hear myself. You yeah. can hear yourself. Good. Just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Bottle of water. Open. Therefore, it shall not spill. Thou shall not spill. Uh, the unwritten so commandment. What we do to start is uh, we just give a little clap, one okay. clap together, just so I can link the, the video and the audio. Can you do it with me? One, two, three. Sweet. That Marvelous. was nice and in sync, wasn't it? It's cheaper than a clapper board. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just get the <laughs> guests to do it. <laughs> so, uh, welcome, Danny. Hello. 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 How are you? Um, yeah. Like the weather improving. It is. It's quite warm. I'm I'm in shorts. And I know. Yeah. I, I I don't want to. Yeah. Impart. Get get my knee get my knees out. So the last uh, time I got my legs out, um, there were all sorts of injunctions put against me. So <laughs> I just decided to keep them covered. Was that the real reason though, Danny? Uh, no, no, <laughs> no. But it is rather warm out there right now, isn't it? It is. We're it finally is. having summer here in the UK, or in this part Round, of the UK. At the start of meteorological autumn. Of course. Naturally. Like, when else should we have I'm the summer? I'm starting to think that the weather's run by the British Rail Service. <laughs> <laughs> it turns up eventually. Exactly. <laughs> so what's going on in your life right now, Danny? Uh, nothing, really. I'm, nothing? No, no. Uh... Family life is what's important at the moment. Okay, um, of course. With kids going back to school and stuff, I've mm-hmm. been help, doing my best to help out with uh, school stuff. Um, and yeah, just generally getting on through life and the trials and tribulations that it throws in front of you. Yeah, tell me about, tell me about your family. My family. Um, I've got a very loving um, uh, tolerant partner. <laughs> you're, you're taking this very slowly, aren't you? Let's take I, it step uh, by step yes, as yeah. we think of the words to perfectly describe my lovely wife. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Because yeah. she will be watching and analysing. <laughs> yes, this is the worrying thing. Um, yeah, I've got a um, fantastic son uh, and two truly wonderful 10-year-old daughters. My son's at 18, going on 19. Um, and, yeah, I might sound like a gushing parent on this one, but I couldn't really be much prouder of him. Nice. And the fact that he's got off his backside and done something. Okay. Rather than constantly stuck in front of a screen. Tell me what he's up to. Uh, well, he's part of Harlow Rock School. Um, he's at that awkward age where uh, you're not quite an adult. You're no longer a kid. So he's sort of finding his feet in this great multiverse of ours. <laughs> and it, it's not easy these days for kids, no. you know? So, yeah, 
yeah, I'm glad he's got the right sort of motivation. And yeah, mum can be very motivational. She 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 can be for me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm in trouble now, aren't I? <laughs> no. And and what about your daughters? My daughters, two ten year olds, twins. Yeah. Um, Eva and Lana. Uh, yeah, they're going into year six now, so they they have all the the stresses of Sats coming up, which really aren't a stress. Which is what I'm no. trying to te- get them but, to understand. But it is put on them, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, rather unfairly. But then mm. a lot of things are put on kids that really shouldn't be. They're having to make more adult decisions uh, a vital part of their lives when they should be discovering the world discovering themselves and their place in it Mm -hmm. you know making their mistakes playing their games that's important yeah rather than a i feel i feel like 10 year olds now in a they're getting put in a place of judgment aren't they with the way sats are yeah yeah Mm -hmm. um sats are massively unfair I, i remember when i was at school we didn't really have SATs. We had an English test. We had a maths test um, and basic uh, literary skills, uh, literacy skills, sorry. And um, yeah, and then from there, we went to secondary school and we were put in whatever groups or classes we were needed to be put in. Nowadays, you've got to almost contend with another school to be on top of a league table. And when you're taking the... F- focus or making the focus more about your position in that league table and your Ofsted results and everything else, then you're sort of sacrificing part of the child's education. That's what I think. Mm -hmm. Do you see any benefit to the way the system is at the moment for the kids? No, no. Uh, This is one of my, um, one of my bugbears. I've got many bugbears, people, (laughs) lots of them. Um, Yeah. uh, I think that, the biggest crime that we are committing against our children, our kids, um, in society at the moment is we're simply just robbing them of an imagination. You know, um, most things that they do isn't thought out because it's already there in front of them on a screen in a virtual world. They don't converse with anyone in the traditional sense that you know, we, we've evolved to converse with people. Um, so everything they want, everything they need is there in front of them and provided for. So in a way, we're robbing them of that imagination, that let's pretend mentality that I believe children should have is, is something mm. we should foster in children and we should, we should nurture in children because without an imagination or people using their imagination, then we run out of future inventors, future thinkers, future philosophers. And with the world that we're living in now, mate, we can do with a few of them. So, so what would you say to your, to your 10-year-old daughters then, that uh, they're about to go, do these, go into these SATs, they're about to do all these examinations and be judged? What would you say to them to, to give them hope for, for their futures? I will tell them that, it's not as important as maybe you hear in, in the news. I mean, kids are quite savvy these days. They watch news. They have their own news programs and stuff. Um, don't listen to the media pressure that's being put on them. Do the best that they can. Achieve whatever they can. And at the end of it, I'll still love you. You know, it's, it's not a measure of who you are as a person. 
-hmm. It's just a measure of whether the educational system is working and whether the school is good enough, I suppose, to be able to provide that education. And the school that they're at at the moment, I can't argue with them. They've been brilliant. Mm -hmm. Really good school. What is it about the school that's good? Uh, Management of the school. Um, The attention that is really child-focused, you know, um, varies of uh, variations in subjects and topics, the way that they're taught. And, yeah, as I say, really good school. Headmistress is fantastic. I can't say I've had a problem with any of the teachers, mm-hmm. which is amazing because <laughs> I usually have a lot of problems with authority. <laughs> um, so, so they've managed to, have they contained you? How have they, how have they managed that to, to make sure Danny's there's no, happy? There's no pretense. You know, uh, certain schools, you've got this definite, you're the teacher, uh, you're the parent, I'm the teacher, you know, and we've got to maintain that relationship. Uh, I like to have a joke with people. I like to have a laugh. I can't take things too seriously. Cause mm. You stop laughing at things and it's definitely a problem, you know. Um, and yeah, I feel like I can just go in there, have a laugh and come out again. And if there's a problem, then it will be solved. It, it will be dealt with. You know, and it's not just the school. I, I believe that a lot of it is down to the attitude of parents as well. This is where I become very unpopular because uh, I've seen a lot of examples of kids leaving the school and then all of a sudden it's almost like education has stopped for the day. And it's like education never stops, even now uh, at my grand old age. Um, <laughs> even now, it's, uh, I'm learning. I'm learning every single day in every single way. And, that's and h- how, do you, how do you do that? Just paying attention, looking and being aware of what's around me, taking inspiration from what's around me, f- ideas from what's around me, looking at what are perceived as problems, but rather than seeing it as a problem, just going, it's a glitch. How do we solve it? I mean, we can all sit there and moan until the end of days about every single problem that exists in the world but unless you have a solution or you're prepared to work towards it however small you don't have to make big grand gestures to make change um but yeah uh as long as as long as you're aware of everything that's around you then Mm -hmm. and the people that are around you people are important people are important don't expect too much of them don't expect too little of them treatment as people yeah no see that's interesting because that brings me on to my next thing that um you talk about people and people being important you're someone that i see is very actively involved with community groups yep you're very actively involved with community theater um you're part of a community garden is that the right way Uh, to put it a community farm community farm hearts and essex community farm guys Rock School as well. Yeah, Harlow Rock School. Yeah. I'm a trustee on the uh, with Harlow Rock School. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Uh, I just turn up, say what I say, do what I do, and then disappear again. Uh, you get involved. You get involved with these groups, don't you? You get yeah. involved with with groups of people, and you tend to take a. I'd say you you take a position of leading sometimes. Would you? Um, I don't intend on doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but. There are times when, you know, you, you just see 
situation needs to be grabbed by the scruff of the neck and shaken about a bit and you know but i I always like to go places to find just how deep their ethos their message is mm. and how much they believe in it um and to i don't know chuck ideas in the world needs more ideas as i say the world's getting lazy we're you're an act, you're an active member yeah. You? you don't sit you don't yeah. sit so maybe not a leader as such but you're an active member doesn't sit back you get actively involved yeah i, I like to think i turn up to places and just sit in the corner and like you know just see and observe but mm -hmm. there's always something that hooks me eventually i'm like a really hungry fish you know <laughs> and uh yeah whatever maggots dangling i'll chomp on it <laughs> yeah yeah. And what do you do with it what, once you've got one? I don't know. So that's a, that's the that one from. of the strangest uh, metaphors. <laughs> okay, so once you've got this maggot, <laughs> yes, what do you do maggot. with it? Um, question it. Question things. If you're to learn, then you've so you're holding this little maggot and you're saying, I'm questioning why? It. What is it about you? Mm -hmm. what, what are you? Who are you? Where do you come from? Where's not. Not in the literal sense. Yeah, yeah. I come from uh, Bishop Stortford. Uh, yeah, right. That's just like, mm -hmm. sorry to say this, but it's Harlow's, uh, Harlow of Hertfordshire, isn't it? <laughs> really? Ooh, all the people in Stortford are going, I hate this guy. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I don't mean it like that. It's like, where are you coming from? What is, what is your story? Stories are important. Stories are, we used to use them. Thousands of years ago, that used to be our way of conveying history, of conveying messages, of conveying lessons. Um, but again, in this digital age and technological age, everything's in front of you. Everything's being done for you. So you're kind of making yourself, you're dumbing down your brain in a way. I think, um, I think it was George Orwell who said uh, that people will be subject, I'm paraphrasing him massively because I'm, I'm just plucking this from mm -hmm. thin air, but um, he said that people will be subdued through gadgetry and technology. Um, and he's right. He's absolutely right. People are more interested in uh, what the latest celebrity is doing or, or what the latest celebrity what what the celebrity is wearing fashionably mm -hmm. and you know all these things and it's that's not news. Taylor, that's... Taylor Swift splits from her manager yeah that's like front page news whilst World War Three is on the brink of starting yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely Did you know yeah absolutely while Russia meets while Russia, we... Russia meets with King John um, uh, <laughs> let's talk about that because yeah. that's quite important but we all but sit no. there we all sit there let's... going um well it's easier to think about what I don't know what what Katie Price is doing recently, mm -hmm. yeah, to be honest, right? It's distraction. That's what it it's is, really. It's distraction, yeah. That's it. Mm -hmm. And because our brains aren't as alert as maybe they should be, due to the fact that people have got mortgages to worry about, there's this whole cost of living thing going on, there's always a crisis going on somewhere, there's um, some new variant of some dodgy virus going around the place. We live in a constant world of fear. Mm. Um, so maybe the truth is too hard for us then. There isn't the truth that is too hard. It is our accepting our responsibility in our part of the world that we've created. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. You know, 
um, responsibility is something that you don't see anymore. Everyone's quick to pass but I mean, you've got you got this um, this schools thing at the moment. You've got Labour going up, and in 2021, you cut it by 50%. And then you've got uh, Mr. Sunak standing up going, ah, oh, but in 2020, I said this. Mm. The point is, I don't care what you've done in 2020 and 2021. What are you doing now? What are you doing to find out why this situation has occurred? You know, these things should not be happening. We're meant to be an advanced nation, mm. you know, but really, the country's falling apart. And well, it's it, literally falling apart, isn't it? The yeah. buildings are literally <laughs> yeah, falling yeah, down yeah. right now. How, aren't how they? very, how very um, yeah, yeah. apt. Um, but yeah, and as a result, it's quick to pass the buck. So therefore, there is no responsibility. So eventually, we'll just move on to the next celebrity, mm. you know, without actually discussing the real issues that really affect people. I'm not one for small talk, never been one for small talk, you know. Um, I'll, I'll engage in it, you know. Um, but if you really want to know how my dad's doing or how my brother's doing or what the dog's up to, yeah, then pop round, have a word. <laughs> they'd be more than happy to see you and they'd probably appreciate the company, mm-hmm. you know, and the catch-up. If you want to sit down and tell me your story, then I'm more than willing to listen. Yeah. I don't like to think that I judge. I don't think I judge people. I accept people as they are. Um, it's important. I think, I think sometimes um, you're quite an open person. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that openness can can come across as being too truthful and a bit harsh, can't it? Yes. Some people can't hand. I'll go back to some people can't handle the truth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, can't you can't handle, handle the, the truth. truth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Nicholson. <laughs> right. That'll yeah. be for the trailer, that. <laughs> but yeah, no, it is. It is. It comes down to the truth and responsibility. Uh, my my f- dad's had this priest that's been staying with him recently. Um, Where did you find up, him? Uh, down the back of the sofa. It's weird <laughs> what you find down there, man. Right? Uh, no, he he came. He comes over from Africa. My dad's a. Um, um, active member in the church um, and unusually for a man in a cloth he was actually quite open and receptive to things that normally I've been told to shut up about I mean my my, my I was christened Roman Catholic everything mm-hmm. else but my career as a Roman Catholic came to a, an abrupt end around about the age of six when whilst at a Catholic primary school, they put a book in front of me and uh, they started telling me about this wonderful man and how, how he was healing people, he was making things nice and, and all this lot. Um, and at the end, they asked if we had any questions. And that's pretty much where my life took a bit of a plummet. Um, <laughs> and I said, uh, yeah, I've got a question. What's your question? Well, who wrote it? And how do you know they wrote it? And when did they write it? Why are you asking these questions? Well, because, you know, it's a lovely story and all, but I need some more, I need some more convincing. Mm-hmm. Oh, but the book should be enough. Well, no, it isn't. And that was at the age of six. Um, from that moment on, I spent a lot of time outside the headmaster's office. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all right, because I, I became bell monitor due to the fact that that's what I shared a shelf with. <laughs> yeah. So 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 back at school is where your rebellious 
streak started. So what I want to find out now, Danny, because you said about you're open to finding out about other people's stories and you quite like that. Mm. This is, I want to know your story. Where did, so this, this, this go back, let's okay. go all the way back to the beginning of this rebellious stage from school. So I, I want to add in here, because we haven't like formally kind of introduced, introduced all the things that you do. We've, we've said you do community. Yeah. Um, but you're also an actor. Yes. And you've had a, you've had a career as an actor. Yeah. Well, uh, in so much as in, I've earned in, a bit of cash on it. A bit of cash <laughs> here and there. Um, yeah. It's yeah. it's like any actor up and highs and lows. Yeah, yeah, yeah? absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah. But before we get into the highs and lows of the acting career, like where did it, where did, where did this story start for Danny? Okay, um, as a child, I was always be, I was always being told to stop showing off, you know, and I did, I did, I, I subdued myself. You did um, what you was told. I did what I was told. Okay, well, that's interesting. Some of the time, <laughs> some of the time. I was a kid, you know, and, and yeah, and it was the 70s. We were all doing it. Um, yeah, uh, I think I suddenly got mesmerized by this false existence that we call acting. Um, when I was about 10 years old, I was at, uh, my dad used to work at a club just down the road called, uh, it was the BP Social Club. My dad used to work as a doorman there. My mum used to work there as a cleaner. And uh, so I'd go down there on a Saturday afternoon and spend some time there because really weren't that much to do anyway. Um, and then there was this group of people that were in their sports hall that had a little stage at the back and they used to do like events and stuff there. And uh, they were singing songs. I heard the songs and I went in and I, I was listening to the songs and I sat down and these people were wearing strange clothing, <laughs> you know, this sort of clothing you only see on the telly, mm. you know, oh, what is this they're doing? And I watched them and I was just transfixed for a good two, three hours. And uh, yeah, they started talking. I've never had a problem with talking to people. Um, don't know where that's come from. Anyway, um, so yeah, I just started talking and Im imposing myself upon them. And they said, oh yeah, we meet up here at uh, Little Pondon Church Hall on a Friday evening. If you're interested, come down. I was 10 years old. Uh, so I asked my dad. Uh, and he organised a lift because he was working um, on that night um, for me to go down there. And this group was called the Harlequins. And they used to Show uh, songs from the musicals, um, old time music hall, that sort of thing, and um, yeah, went along there and realised that this was just one big play space, you know, where I didn't have to worry about me because there I was. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm, I'm getting really esoteric and stuff, aren't I? It was. You was in a place where you felt you felt comfortable to be you. Yeah, to be me. Because mm. um, that doesn't happen for many at school, does it? No, no, and I, because it's a school is a place to your you have to go. Yeah, you never sign up to it, and I never really <laughs> got on with people at school. Mm. I wouldn't say that again because like, you're thrown you you're thrown together by a postcode. Yeah, yeah, essentially, absolutely. aren't you? And selection process mm. and stuff like that. Yeah, and, uh, but 
you know, I've always got on with whoever I'm put together with. You know, there's no point in being nasty and bitchy and horrible to people that you've got to live with, <laughs> you know, essentially, mm-hmm. or work with or whatever. Although there are some people that you work with that you do really want to just wring mm-hmm. their neck. Um, yeah, so... So yeah, I've lost my train of thought on that one. Yeah, so we this is where you join in the joining the yeah, group. Yeah, so uh I stuck with them for a couple of years. Um did some old time music hall, uh, a few songs from the shows. What I, was this group called? The Harlequins. The Harlequins. Um nice. I just Do remember. they still exist? No. No, no long gone. No. Um it was run by Jim and Carol. Uh yeah. That's who run it. They, 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 that's who got me into it. And they encouraged me in a way because I was actually a little bit wary of everything. You know, growing up in a town like Carlo, you, you learn to be wary. I'm not saying it's a bad place because it, as much as people slag it off, it isn't a bad place. Hmm. You know, anywhere's the same as what you make of it, I suppose. I'm certainly learning that now. Um, but from the Harlequins, uh, I went and lived in France for a while. Uh, my dad's cousins came over and said, oh, on the way back, because they finished school earlier than we do for their summer holidays. Mm. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, so they said, they're going on a tour of Ireland on the way back. Do I want to go over to Biarritz with them? It's like, yeah, all right then. <laughs> Why not? Um, and they picked me up, and I went over there, and if, uh, after about, four or five weeks they said look we know you're going home soon but we were wondering do you want to stay over here and go to school over here and just learn the language and it's like yeah all right then <laughs> why not you know i was 12 mm-hmm. and i thought yeah go for it it's an adventure it's something new it's something different mm-hmm. and uh i learned a lot about myself when i was out there um I learned a lot about people, strangely enough. Um, For the first few months that I was out there, I was punched, I was kicked, I was spat on because I was English. Mm. Um, And Sounds quite a traumatising time. Yeah, it was. Mm. It was. Um, But are you saying that that built you? Yes, very much so. Because rather than hating them for it, which is a normal reaction for humans. Um, I don't know. I try to understand why. There always has to be a reason for something. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it's whether or not we're prepared to question it enough to find out that reason. Um, I'll put it down to history. <laughs> Us and the French, we've never been the best of buddies. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, but that taught me strength. I found a strength to be able to survive. And I suppose that's when I sort of decided that it didn't matter how bad it got or how many times I was knocked down, I would just get up again, brush myself off, start again. There's no fear in starting again. Mm. It's a horrible prospect, especially in the world of acting. I mean, Christ. Um, it's continuous, isn't it? COVID. 
killed the industry. Mm-hmm. Killed the industry, especially when it comes to freelancing work and stuff. Um, and yeah, once once that's gone and your savings are gone, then what are you left with? You need money to be able to advance, to get the right stuff together, to be able to improve your position within your career. Um, Weren't we supposed to retrain in cyber? Yes, we were all meant to become computer technicians, yes, but unfortunately <laughs> my generation didn't really do maths. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, the only thing you've got computers for these days is to play games, mm. apparently. Anyway, um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it taught me a lot about myself. It taught me some French. It gave me an experience that not a lot of people would get. Um, when I came back from France, I was in an English lesson. Uh, a chap called Kevin Cookson, my English teacher, said, oh, by the way, at the end of a lesson, um, there's a, a local theatre company, by the, a youth theatre company called Stage Directions. They're looking for people to be fairies in a production of A Midsummer Night's Dream. So, of course, you I raised... Just, hand was straight up, mate. Yeah, I'm there. I mean, I'm a fairy. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> you know, and at the age of 13, 14, that, that got a ripple of laughter. Mm-hmm. Um, the stage on this town through knowing the community, theatre community quite well. I hear the name Stage Direction a lot. Mm. It affected a... It, it brought up a whole generation. A vast didn't number it? of people. Mm. vast number of people. Um, it was at a time in the town when there was many theatre companies. You had uh, really. Moot House Players. You had Harlow Opera Company, uh, Harlow Theatre Company, Harlow Youth Theatre. So there was a lot of theatre groups around the town. Um, it's one of the reasons why the Playhouse was built, was so that amateur club, uh, groups would have a performance space. Um, but for whatever reason, it's not always worked out that way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, but Stage Directions was the one for me. It was just down the road. I was going to be a fairy. <laughs> um, and then turned up to this place, never got to be a fairy, had to be a courtier, um, and just stood at the back, just reacting. Because that's what acting is, it's just reacting. Mm-hmm. Um, then we went on tour to Germany with it. Uh, done a, a short tour of Germany with it. Mm-hmm. Again, another truly amazing experience, but it's them experiences that bonded everyone. You know, we had a shared experience. We, we became strong as a company. Uh, and how old was you at this time? I was 13 going on 14. Okay, so you're uh, still at school whilst you did this tour. Yeah, yeah. How yeah. did how did that kind of work? Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, it worked. It did, yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's all I'm saying. You know who you are. No, uh, <laughs> it worked. It was brilliant. It was a great experience. Mm-hmm. And again, it created friendships and ties amongst people that weren't just local but were international. You know, and you felt that you were finding out about the world and not just the town that you lived in or the area that you lived in. It gave you the opportunity to realise that there, there's definitely a lot more out there, you know, and that's what it was doing for me. It was opening up my eyes. It was showing me different things. It was teaching me different things. But important, most importantly, it was the only space that I had where I could feel like I was myself because, <clears throat> excuse me, in living living and being brought up in Harlow. As I say, it's not a bad town, but 
you have to learn, or I've had to learn to be a chameleon in so much as you get into one particular place and you blend in, you know, and I don't necessarily like blending in. Mm-hmm. You know, I, one of the worst experiences for me is being on a tube train, right? Hate being on a tube train because it is the most antisocial part of any form of travel ever invented. You know, um, nobody talks to each other. We hide behind newspapers and now gadgetry and phones and what have you, but nobody ever talks. When I was 14, 15, where I, I used to tell my mum I was going up the town, but we'd disappear up to London. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I'd end up in the tube carriage getting everyone to do a sing-along or yeah. asking questions and getting people to talk to each other that normally they wouldn't even make eye contact with yeah. because that's some it, it, sort of like scene. I haven't really ever sort of considered it really. When you, Yeah, you're right. When you sit on the train, everyone just puts their head down, yeah. don't they? And they keep themselves very, very much to themselves. But, it, but the, how, how, how enlightening could it be to turn around to the next person sitting next to you and go, good morning? Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, exactly. Where and that could lead as well. Yeah, because you know. to some people, just that one mm-hmm. good morning, yeah, that can change their whole perspective, their whole yeah. outlook on that day. Mm. Um, there are a lot of lonely people out there. Oh, absolutely. And, absolutely. and especially yeah. those that, that go towards London, it yeah. seems to be. This city, the, the biggest city in this country. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's, but it, everyone's it, lonely. Again, it's the climate of the, of the society that we live in mm. where it's almost frowned upon to make contact. Mm. That's why social media is taking such a hold on people because it, it breaks down that, that, that barrier. Yes, yeah. You know, or no, it doesn't build, break down the barrier. It builds the barrier. That means you've got something to hide behind. I mean, the actor always talks about the fourth wall. Screw the fourth wall. You know, these people are paid to come and see you. If they want to interact, interact with them. Yeah, make them part of what you're doing. You know, because that's more important than anything. Because as, a, as an actor, you've got an amazing skill that you can look into something and or someone and you can see that they're having one of the worst times of their life. There's lots of problems that are going on, financial, family, you know, uh, career, everything else. They've got all these problems. But when they come to see you and you just make them chuckle just for that split second, you've exercised your power of making them forget every single problem that they've ever had and that doesn't just last in that one auditorium for that one play <clears throat> but that it, will take it ripples that, that moves on mm. so like later on in the week they'll suddenly think oh i'm back here again oh hang on there was that you know and that changes it it's just the little tiny things mm. that make the difference you know and that, that, that that's that's what i like about the power of an actor Mm. Totally off topic, but you know, no, it's all part of it. Um, and, and, and to be able to have that skill, to be able to create that small amount of healing for someone, because that's what it is. You, you're creating a healing space for them, where they can escape, where they can think about something different. You know, um, if you've got that power, then you should use it. Everyone tell, should use it. Tell me more about why that's important. Because. <laughs> Just look at the world around you. <clears throat> There's um, too much misery going on, too much blame, too much disaster, too much famine, too much everything, you know? 
and uh, people seem to be plodding on as though it's some, we've reached some level of contentment with it. We can actually live with it now. And that shouldn't be. We didn't come out of the trees and evolve over millions of years to suddenly go, yeah, well, I'll do it tomorrow. You know, and I am, don't, don't get me wrong, I am one of the most, I am one of the biggest procrastinators, right, that's ever walked this planet. If I can put it off till tomorrow, yeah, I will. <laughs> right? Um, yeah. As my partner knows all too well, um, and she does give me a good kick up the ass every so often. <laughs> Much needed. You probably deserve it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, because of the amount of misery, to be able to just take that person away for a little while, it's amazing. I mean, as much as I appreciate audiobooks and, and I see the good that they do in getting people in touch with uh, literature, et cetera, et cetera, there's still nothing more satisfying than opening a book and getting lost within the words that are written on the pages of that book because there is no greater conjurer of imagery of imagery there's no greater uh, uh, processor of literature or written or spoken word than the human brain and if we stop that firing then we might as well all just stand still and wait for whatever to happen to happen. And in a way, that's kind of what I'm uh, trying to achieve here. Mm. That, that, that firing of that brain, that, that kind of yeah. driving that conversation, driving, that, driving the yeah. messages that you're but kind you, of talking about. You've also got into a situation now, I mean, there's all these labels going around, you're woke, you're whatever, right? I couldn't give a monkeys about that. Are you a decent human being? Right? What does it mean to be human? Well, to get on with people, to understand people. I mean, there's a bloke who said it 2,000 years ago and they nailed him to a tree, right? <laughs> and then all this other thing grew up around it. And, uh, but the simplicity of it all is to stop hating, take some time out to slow down. It's a fast-paced world out there mm-hmm. and we can't keep up. We can't. We're not, we haven't evolved sufficiently to be able to keep up with the pace of advancements that are going on mm. we need to slow down and how do you propose we do that by hmm, stop worrying about the more material side of life i mean at the end of the day you can't take it with you so why why worry um i understand that there's a necessity for material for materialism but you know, if it means that you've got to tread over lots of people to get to it, is it really worth it? You know, if you have to upset someone to get to somewhere that you want to go, is that really worth it? Is that worth the price? Mm. My mum used to say, uh, God doesn't pay his debts in money. Right? And, yeah, although she's coming from the Christian perspective, I kind of understand what the meaning of that is. Which you is? Well, if you've got... If you've got to turn your back on someone to get a job, or if you've got to if you've got to hurt someone to get to a particular place in the standings or in the queue or whatever, then that's not a price worth paying. If it's monetary, you can throw money at it as long as you like. Yeah? But if you're actually hurting people, if you're actually being negative, 
um, putting people down, blaming people for the mistakes that you make, then you're not truly expressing your human side. You're expressing your condition side, your survival instinct. We all live on our survival instinct today. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all about reactions and knee-jerk actions. There's no long-term planning. There's no future planning. But that doesn't mean there isn't a future. It just means that there's something in the way that's stopping everyone from actually having the balls to actually turn around and go, no, I think it's wrong. It should be like this. You know, and then there's also the restraints that are put on you, mortgage, needing to feed yourself, pay for fuel, etc., etc. But that's not the be all and end all of life. The for me personally, it's to make as many people happy as possible. Because there's one thing for certain, there's a lot of people you're gonna make unhappy, whether you intend to or not. If you can make amends and not forget then you're learning lessons and learning lessons is all important <laughs> yeah and, and what you like to do <laughs> yeah yeah i like i like the variety i like things mm. that are different which again is a problem why is it a problem well. um one of my main causes of procrastination is <laughs> i have many many ideas but i get very bored very quickly so i'll start doing something and then something else will catch my eye um i've got friends that say i'm a typical gemini um but yeah Um, see i'm starting to wonder if the star signs are a way of breaking down the neurological yeah. Uh, discussion that we're having at the moment, lot with ADHD. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Isn't it? So uh, in the past, I'd have said, oh, you're a, but you're this star sign, or you're, the, you're a balanced person, you're yeah. an erratic person. Yeah, it's, the, it's a way that we used to put an understanding on human psyche, I suppose, in the yeah, human condition. And try and break it down into to 12 or 12 characters. Yeah. Whereas actually, it's a lot more yeah, complex. And, uh, than and that. also at the time, everyone sort of believed that everything was influenced from the sky. Mm-hmm. Uh, the stars had this, the mon- movements of the planets did that, yeah. right? We've got a better understanding of things now. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that that isn't true. I've got no way of proving yeah, no, whether and it I is would, And I would say there potentially is an influence there. Um, yeah, for in, for yeah instance, everything can influence something. Yeah, for, in, for instance, the, the moon. When we yeah. have a full moon, uh, there are more. They have to put rotor more police. Yes. Because yeah. crime, goes up, go crime goes up by about 30% on a yeah. full moon. So the, the, the environment in which we live does have an effect on us. Yeah, definitely. yeah, absolutely. Um, whether that's down here or whether that's from up there. Yeah. It definitely yeah. has an effect. Yeah, everything has an effect on everything. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that's where we've broken our programming as humans. Yeah. Because we're just seeing the effect it has on us without looking at the bigger picture. But to understand the bigger picture, you've got to be able to break it down into lots of smaller pictures. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it just becomes overwhelming and people break down. Yeah. You know, um, because mental health is also a massive thing uh, at the moment. Uh, Of course, yeah. It's the unspoken pandemic, in my opinion. You think it's unspoken still? By those that can do things about it, yeah, very much so. Those that have been there, those that have experienced it, whether 
as someone that's got mental health issues or as someone who is associated with someone or, or knows someone with mental health issues. Um, uh, there's, there's not enough talk about it. People, people understand it. People know that something needs to be done, but those that can do it, they, they won't put the money into it. They won't put the funding into it. COVID, fine. We can create a serum. We can inject you in the arm. Mental health, there's no, there's no antidote for that, mate. The biggest thing, the biggest thing at the moment, and this is my bugbear, because um, I've, I've been on the, merry, uh, the mental health merry-go-round, mm -hmm. as I like to call it, um, where you turn up to a doctor. doctor then turns around and says, oh, I can prescribe you this pill. But then you turn around and say, yeah, I don't actually want to do pills. You know, I want to actually deal with my problem rather than mask it. And then, oh, well, in that case, it can't really help you. So you want to stick drugs down my neck, mm -hmm. yeah, and balance me out chemically rather than actually dealing with the issue so, or issues that are causing this. So you say there's no cure. I would like to think... And I'm un completely unqualified. Yeah, <laughs> so, me too. So talking, you know, complete rubbish. But I would like to think, and from what I've seen and what I've experienced myself, that for me, the cure is people. Yes. For me, it's about not being alone. Mm -hmm. It's about connections. Mm. Um, and it's about being active with other people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah? Um, <clears throat> I would say, if not a cure, it's a, a definitely a supporting supportive mechanism. Mm. Um, it's something that will will raise if you're feeling down. It will definitely raise you back up. Yeah. And for me, uh, quite a lot. A few years ago, same thing. Went to the doctor. Here's some pills. Take these. Didn't want to take the pills. Mm. I did take the pills. They didn't work for me at all. No, and, and, and I'm not saying. Right, that people with mental health issues shouldn't do the medication. No, that's exactly yeah. right because that's that's wrong. But but you should also seek other other things yeah, as absolutely. well. Absolutely. And so for me, it was going back to something I love. So at that time, I'd stopped doing something I love, which mm. was theatre. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I started doing a a, a proper job because yeah. I felt that that's what I needed to do at the time. Mm -hmm. I felt that that was the responsible thing as a as a new parent mm. to to do a job. Um, which it is mm. responsible to do, and you yeah, do yeah. have to provide for your children, I think. Yeah. Um, but it was making me depressed, <laughs> and um, I didn't put in there any, any time for me. And that is the problem. Yeah, I that didn't put the in problem. there for, for finding the thing that mm. I love. And I, and I didn't realise, I thought it was just theatre mm. that is what I loved. But it wasn't. It was being around the people. It theater was connecting. Was yeah, it was connecting with people. Theatre is therapy. I found that. I found mm. that theatre is definitely therapy. As I said, at first it was a place where, or it was an environment in which I felt comfortable. Yeah, where I didn't feel like I was being judged for who I was. And I was a dodgy little bastard when I was a kid, right, to be fair. Um, yeah. Uh, so... I didn't feel judged or anything like that. And that's why I enjoyed it. But as I've got older, I won't say mature, um, as I've got older, I've realized that it is, it is, it is living therapy. Mm. That's what it is for me. It's a chance of stepping out of myself. And did you always recognize that? No. No, you don't, do you? No. Until you 
No, I, I think never I think that. you realise it once you've lived it for a while and you come away yeah. from it. Yeah. Well, it also it also depends. Um, I know a, a few people that have got on well in the acting world, and um, quite frankly, disappeared up their own ass a little bit. Um, and by that, I mean that they don't seem to acknowledge where they've been anymore because they've got to where they wanted to go. Mm. You know, and I don't, I don't think that's right. I think that you should always remember where you've been. And how, how would you propose one does that? Because I, 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 I've seen people as well take tremendous leaps in their, their career. Um, and often these people are always looking forward. Mm. And there is this thing about not looking back, about, you know. I'm not saying, I'm not saying um, looking back is something you shouldn't do what what i think is you know your past you know your story better than anyone else Mm -hmm. right um you can either live there you can live in your past and let it slowly make you bitter twisted resentful you know or you can accept your past yeah you were a little bastard when you were a kid but that little bastard in you has actually got you this particular role you know see that that that's me. I, I never went to drama school. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried for drama school, but I just yeah. Wasn't. Take me, take me back to. We've come away from your journey yeah. a bit. Take me back to your. Take me back to your journey. So you, so you, you involved with a community yeah. theatre as a as a child. Stage direction. But you didn't go after school, right? Okay, I'm going to study study theatre. No, you're no. going to study acting. You didn't choose to study. <laughs> no, what did you what... what did you choose to do? Uh, to be honest, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Didn't have a clue. Luckily, I screwed up my GCSEs the first time around. So I, I had a year where I could do resets and really give a deep, deep mm-hmm. think, thought. I can't even speak now um, about the whole thing. Um, and then I thought, well, the only careers advice that I was given was at school. The careers teacher uh, came in, sat, uh, sat me down in an office, and he said, right, I'm your careers teacher. And tell me, what is it you would like to do in the future? At the time, um, I wanted to be a pilot. And uh, I went, oh, that's really nice. Have you considered working in some of the local factories? <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> didn't you just hear what I said? <laughs> you know, and again, that's not where you're meant to be. People like you aren't meant to be there. And it's like, well, I won't go there then. <laughs> <laughs> and I won't do what you're telling me to do. And I wasn't really good at anything else, but I had this... I was given a face that contorts to many weird shapes and things that people have told me about. And I'm, I'm an expressive person. And I suppose I've got the front to actually stand up and make an ass of myself without worrying about whether somebody's going to judge me for it or anything like that. You know? Um, so acting seems like the natural course but i didn't know what i was doing none of my family were in acting mm. you know i pray when i turned around to my mum right um and i said mum i want to be an actor she looked at me and went you need to get a proper job right yeah. okay brilliant but i think get a proper well i tried to get a proper job and i couldn't do it i worked uh, i worked in offices i've worked in shops i, I I've worked delivery, I've worked telesales, I've done pretty much everything. And 
I just did not enjoy any single part of it. There was nothing in it that was yeah. fulfilling. Um, so, yeah, I was going to be an actor. I'll get a kick out of making people laugh, you know. Um, so specifically, like, in the direction of comedy, that was always a thing? I, I, again, um, because I had no real direction, I just threw myself at anything. You know, uh, Shakespeare, comedy, as you say, a um, uh, bit of Pinter, a bit of Brecht, you know. Um, I just threw myself at anything. Musicals, that, that was one of the things. That, uh, the break for me from stage directions was when I joined Harlow Opera Company or I went to an audition for Harlow Opera Company. They were doing a, auditions for half a sixpence. And uh, I went along to that and... To be honest, I didn't think I'd get anywhere outside of stage directions. And then I got a phone call. And they said, oh, yeah, we'd like to give you the part of Sid Warney. And it's like, really? <laughs> Ooh. And, um, yeah, people were saying good things about me. So, But, again, I had that teenage mentality, you know. Um, and what was, start, what was that teenage mentality? Well, you, start, you start believing your own bullshit. Okay. You know. Um, so what were you telling yourself? That, that it was a piece of piss. Everything was easy. All I had to do was go there and do this and everything would fall in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's not the case. Right? <laughs> um, but also, at the time... Um, what, why do you think you believed that so strongly? Because I've been there as well. At mm. that, that young age, you kind of think, you know, you try hard in this, you know, you do this, you do that, you do that, and it, and it will well, go. For me, for me, it was creating a bravado that created a shield that actually kept people away. I, it, Tell me, the actors, shield. The shield, the shield. There's, What's the shield? There's the persona that you give to people that you willingly give, that you choose to give. And then there's the persona that... At times, only family see, hmm. close friends see, and that's not always the nice part of you. You know, um, they're the ones that help you through the dark moments. They're the people that are there for you, that, that are meant to help you, that are meant to care for you. You know, but at the same time, you feel sort of as though you're putting yourself upon people by by doing that. You know, so so when it comes, it's like the small talk of personality. You know, you've got one way that you act in front of certain people, but then there's this particular part of you that you keep to yourself. Mm-hmm. And if anyone ever gets close to that, you need your shields, you need your deflectors. And one of them was building up this bravado, this image, this idea in your head that you were, you were the next, like, Don, <laughs> you know? You, you, you were, yeah. go- to use modern parlance, you were goat. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, and then life kicks you up the ass <laughs> and brings you down a peg or two. And I and I think it's I think it's quite easy to to fall into that trap of of a high of feeling like you mm. you've got you've got so everyone's got potential. But I also fell and... into the pitfalls and perils of believing such things. Mm. Um, came an amateur chemist <laughs> at a young age. Yeah. You know, uh, officially or unofficially? Oh, illegally, unofficially. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm trying um, to get at in a yeah, polite yeah, yeah. way. Yeah, uh, yeah. Started smoking weed. Mm-hmm. Um, 
did some acid. Acid was a complete game changer for me. Right, a lot, a lot of people said, "Ooh, ooh, that's nasty. It messes you right up." No, no, not for me. It didn't. It made me discover myself, you know, on a deeper level than I probably would have if I was carrying on the way that I was going. And once I'd done it, and I've learned lessons from that, I've never gone back. Never did, gone back. Transcendental type of experiences. Then, did you have on that? Yeah, yeah. Transcendental, um, existential. Mm-hmm. Um, how long ago was this? God, well, I was a psychonaut from roughly the age of 16. Okay. Uh, into my early 20s. And this wasn't like every day wake up, drop an acid, and then off you go with your day because, like, <laughs> that never works. Mm. You know, if you're going to poison yourself, at least give yourself a bit of time to recover, right? Whatever the substance. Um, but, yeah, rather than going out doing whatever, going to a club, sweating your night away and hoping you survive. I used to go out to the woods, build a fire, you know, sit around the fire. People that joined you were usually the same as you and were doing the same things as you. And you just got on, you learned about people. You found out stories, you started making up stories, you started using imagination. Songs were written, uh, scenarios were written, comedy sketches were written. And it all worked out from this collective. And each time you're you're in a state of consciousness that is so heightened that it's really hard to explain and I'm really going off on one here but it, it they talk about it being a trip but it doesn't take you anywhere it helps you be more retrospective introspective you know so you can work out who you are what mm-hmm. you are and what it is and it can never be fully explained. But. Yeah, so would you say that these these trips, would you say they are, some, would you say you have been somewhere or would you say that that it was a, because I'm trying to figure this out for myself, is mm. it the right, because there's a lot going on with this right now mm-hmm. in the science world. Um, it's become more open recently, yeah. hasn't it? Yeah. Um, um, and is this, is this a journey to somewhere else, to another plane of existence, to the third and fourth dimension? No. Or is this your brain rewiring it and is, reconnecting? It is your brain rewiring, reconnecting, and reaching a level of consciousness that has been kept from us through various systems of government, religion, whatever. You know? Um, so everything's... Would you, would you say that's partly through protection? Because there is obviously a danger with these things. Depends on who you're protecting. Mm-hmm. Obviously. Because my experience of, of it isn't as big as your experience. Um, I'm not as, as qualified as you are to talk of these things. <laughs> very much. Um, but, but with me, mine was uh, an accident of, of what uh-huh. I took to have this journey. Um, and it was very beneficial to me. But it could have gone very, very wrong oh, yeah. had I and not does, found the right person wrong. to care for me. It does go wrong for mm. a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I could have gone into a, into a place of suicidalness. Yeah, Is that but, a word, suicidalness? Yeah. Suicide, you know, the, uh, yeah. uh, one, Su- suicidal tendencies. Suicidal tendencies. I went yeah. to a very, very dark place mm. in the beginning. Because it, that, that's the thing. Um, and so, yeah, as society, as it, are we protecting? Are, has it been for a long time? We must just protect against it. 
because of that potential dark place that you could go to. Right. When it, when it comes to psychedelics and things like that, I think you have to be in the right frame of mind to do so. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that there's uh, drug use and there's drug abuse. Yeah. Drug use is like for me, when I took the acid, it was just sitting down. It was finding out about me, the world around me, what I was. And I, honestly, I am, we are all so, so small in the grand scheme of things. Right. Mm. Uh, it's, incomprehensible um but uh we we don't want to face our demons we find it difficult to face our demons what acid does if you're in the right frame of mind and it 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 helps it it doesn't give you the choice you know it creates a safe space for you to look at those demons, not tackle them, not deal with them, but to recognize them. And once you've done that, move on. Don't do it again. You don't need to. You've, you've learned what you mm-hmm. need to learn. But unfortunately, some people do it because they're getting higher. Yeah, so that's the problem, the, the, the addiction. That so so mm. that from, from my trip that I had, there was definitely a feeling of, I want to go back. I want to go back. Yeah, I want to. Well, there's more questions. There's more questions. Yeah, yeah. I I asked a lot of questions. But that's because that you've opened your mind to a different level. That's right. Level of uh, perception of 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 consciousness. But in saying that, I want to go back. I'm not saying that in a way that I feel addicted. I feel that that's only going to happen for me in a safe environment, a safe space, yes. at a time that that I choose. Mm. Um, well, that, that, but but some people will go. Some people won't be able to handle that. Some people will go. I've, I want to do that again next weekend and the next weekend mm. and the next weekend. And then we get to that place of drug abuse. But that's, that's the problem. Um, due to the limited amount of research that has been done into narcotic drugs, uh, we don't fully understand the implications of them or the benefits of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it's been, and it's been closed off for a long time, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it was the 70s that they just prohibited yeah, everything. Scientific exploration. I think it was 68, yeah. 69. They just went, okay, scientists, but, you can't look at this anymore. But uh, the whole narcotics list was mm-hmm. drawn up in the 1920s uh, with the League of Nations and opiates, uh, cocaine, every, and things like that were all on this list to be outlawed and banned. Um, cocaine, incidentally, was actually created as an antidote to heroin. <laughs> that worked out. Um, and, uh, yeah, thing, uh, marijuana was only added to the list at the last minute because the United States of America said it sent people crazy. Mm. What they meant by that was there's too many people asking questions and they're the wrong sort of people. At the time, 1920s, mm-hmm. reefer was being, was being smoked by the black man. Yeah? That wasn't allowed. Because black men are starting to think, they're starting to think about civil rights and stuff like that. And that's what it does. It calms you. In this fast-paced world, marijuana slows you down to a point where you suddenly go, oh, yeah. Yeah. Start to go, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And, that, and all, those, all those worries of the outside world or all them things that are inconsequential, mm. you, you, you put them to one side. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and you start realising things about yourself and and the world around you Mm -hmm. which is something that i don't know i'm really skeptical and 
Orwellian when it comes to this, but that's something that is not beneficial to the powers that be. Yeah. Which is why we rob our children of an imagination. Mm -hmm. If we do it at an early age, then they won't be thinking. <laughs> no, then, well, then it. they can grow up as consumers. Yeah, and you can and, and you can also see that you can also see that in electoral turnouts and stuff mm -hmm. like that. It, it's been so low, so low for so long, and it's so sad, <laughs> you know, because it's we've got the politicians we deserve because nobody's doing anything about it, and those that do try to do something about mm -hmm. it, everyone's going, oh yeah, but it's inconvenience in my day. How am I meant to get to work? We won't think about, oh, well, what happens if I get thrown under that train or I fall under that train and there's no one there to pull me out? We don't think about that. We just look at, yeah, but I've got to get to work. I've got to pay the mortgage. I've got to feed the kids. I've got mm -hmm. to pay the electricity, you know? And that's what we're more in interested in. And it's got to such a point where traditional systems of protest have broken down so much that people are taking such extreme measures and stupid measures such as gluing yourself to a motorway. <laughs> yeah. You know? Just pissing everyone off. And it does. Yeah. It really pisses people off. Mm. But you've got to ask yourself, well, if people are <clears throat> feel that they need to do that, what is wrong with the system that makes them feel like they need to do that? Yeah. And we've well, just been simple. shut down the ones, the, that, the ones that are in charge aren't connecting, aren't listening. No, absolutely. They're not, part, they're not part of the and, collective. And not just that. It's because... They've put systems and ways in place that prevent you from your rightful legal right to protest. If you think that something is wrong, mm -hmm. then it's wrong. We're in the 90s, we had uh, all the direct action stuff, you know, uh, with Swampy and like uh, people just being more direct, more violent, more aggressive. Um, and it's something that was left over from the way that the miners were treated. This is all my opinion, by the way. There's absolutely no, no grounds of expertise in this. Um, Do you know what? I think I'm going to just take that bit out and put that at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Warning, right. here's Danny Gleason. He knows nothing. <laughs> Here is a podcast from the uninformed and misguided. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and of course, myself. I, you know, I'm including myself in yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> when, when, when the miners were finally defeated, um, it was a dark day because strike became a dirty word. I mean, it had already been destroyed in the 70s with the militancy of the unions and stuff. But um, in the 80s, it was finally destroyed. And it was almost a dirty word within the workplace. You know, and anyway, we're looking forward to a new Tory Britain with prosperity and everything else. And the 80s gave us that, put us in a lot of debt, but at least we had the money, you know, um, and we sold everything. Um, and then people started waking up to that, started realising that, like, this boom and bust economy thing, that's not working. You know, this whole, let's all buy our houses. Well, you didn't use that money to invest in new housing, so my kids can't live the way that we expected them to. You haven't fulfilled your promise. Mm. People started protesting against that. Uh, they didn't like that. They shut us down. Um, then you had the introduction of poll tax. Uh, people were never going to like that. That was never going to happen. Um, and that created a more direct confrontation. Because in my opinion, the police were only ever trained to deal with violent situations. 
they're not trained to deal with a peaceful situation. They're not. They're meant to be in there arresting people, breaking things up. They're all violent action. If someone sat down in the middle of the road, all right, they're causing a disturbance, whatever. You've got every right to arrest them. But you don't drag them off the street. You know, that, that's, that's, that's not right. You're, you're mm. taking away their right to protest, to make that protest, and to be heard making that protest. And then you had the, uh, as a result of the counts, uh, the poll tax marches, also dubbed as riots, um, you got the anti-criminal justice bill. Oh, no, you got the criminal justice bill come through. And that limited people's right to spontaneous protest. Now, when you make a protest in London, you've got to have the names and addresses of all the um, organisers of the protest. You've got to give a direct route on maps and everything else of how that protest is going and where it's going to end up, etc., etc. Well, if you're corralling people to a certain place and saying where they can and cannot go, you're taking away that spontaneity. Mm-hmm. So you shut them down. Again, it's a small thing, but all the small things create a big thing. And that's why I wonder what we're moving towards as a, as a society. Where are we going with all of this control and all of this? Um... It's, a, it's a fear society. Control creates fear. Mm-hmm. We need fear. We live in a world that has to have something, someone scared of something, whether that be terrorism, whether that be a virus, whether that be the stock exchange, the price of your house, your job. We've got to be scared of something because if we're scared of something, we're not thinking about the things that matter. We're not thinking about the root causes of why am I worried about that job? Why is my health service a mess? What, what? I'm getting political now. <laughs> when have you not been? <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair point. Um, I said I wouldn't. So why have you, why have you not got into politics? Because I couldn't be that dishonest. You see, for me... Do you, what do you think every politician mm. is? No, I, I don't... What I disagree with is the um, idea of professional politicians. To be a politician, or if you stand as a politician, then surely you stand because you've noticed that there's something wrong and you want to make a difference. You have a possible solution that you want heard. And that's great. That's lovely. Honest intentions. Um, But once you get into the political system, you have to belong to a party you don't belong to a party you stand independent there's no chance of you getting elected mm-hmm. so you've got to join the party so when it comes to election time you have to toe the party line you have to do what the party says but what if i don't agree with it and you're out of the party you know suddenly that's a compromise on why i stood to be a politician ah uh, well you should have gone to university and studied it yeah but what has that actually given you in life experience you know that's why we're so disconnected mm-hmm. yeah Rishi Sunak probably wouldn't be able to tell you what the price of a loaf of bread or a pint of milk was, right? But he can walk around all day in 950-pound loafers. If that's not telling you what's disconnected, then, you know. Mm. But why is he in the position that he is? Because he studied politics and business. But it's a vocation. It's not a career. You, you do it because you want to make change. You want to affect change. So you could stand as an independent. You could, but you wouldn't have the money. The importance of having the party backing 
is that you've got the party budget to be able to use. Mm-hmm. You're standing as an independent, you've only got your own money and your weekly wage, and you know, you've got to pay your electricity and your mm-hmm. mortgage. See, you know, it stops people from doing that. Or pay, I think it's um, a £500 deposit to stand for a local election, you know, and then you've got to, I, it used to be, uh, I think, uh, 10% or 9% of the vote of, of the overall poll. If you didn't get more than um, 9 or 10%, then you'd lose that £500. Well, if that's Labour, that's five hundred pounds nothing to them. It's conservative, five hundred pounds nothing to them. Mm. You know, but if it's someone like me just go to excuse me, <laughs> you know, and they're the channels that we're meant to use, mm-hmm. then again, we've all been shut down, our voice has been silenced. That's why theatre is so important in this day and age. Because it should provoke. I was saying earlier that we've got all these labels about woke people and stuff like that. Couldn't give a monkeys about the label. People, only nasty people set out to offend other people, right? Ignorant people, uneducated people, uh, they bind me up, right? <laughs> um, don't ever set out to offend someone. If you do offend someone, right, and accept that you've caused offence, apologise for said offence, but also question why it has offended. Because once you've questioned why it has offended, you're opening up a dialogue to create compromise. Compromise being the true art of politics. Mm-hmm. Not opposed one side, opposed it. You're either left, you're right, you're blue, you're red. You know, It's creating that compromise. And the only way that we're going to create that compromise is to really understand why it is I've offended you or why it is you've offended me. You know, And we shy away from doing that. We suddenly start going, oh, but you're being this, you're being that. No, I'm not. I just want to know. So again, it's another limit that's built up in society that prevents you from asking why, stops you from asking the important questions, the questions that matter and the questions that can make a difference. Mm. And often that question is, is simply why? Yeah. Why is this happening? Yeah. Why is this this way? Yeah. And it, and so so how can we how can we do that? You you mentioned in there about theatre and theatre being important. Mm-hmm. How we, how so how is and you pursued so you've pursued this through your life theatre. How is that important for getting messages across? Massively, because you take people out of constraints of the norm, and put them into a space where they need to suspend reality i would like to think it encourages empathy as well as well but again Mm. the only reason why that is is because you're suspending their reality and putting them in a different reality so therefore it's easier for them to leave their baggage behind and just disappear Mm -hmm. has always been about escapism yeah and that's what it's about and through that way you can get your message across i mean the best way to get any message across is through laughter because once you've got someone laughing there is no defenses up Mm. it's one of the purest sounds that we can make as humans that is peaceful it's calm it's happy it's joyful and going back to politics there is no room for that in politics at all is there no no it's all business it's all about Mm. going back to school it's all about league tables it's all about the economy and it's all about maintaining the mighty pound or the mighty dollar. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, when did we become commodities? 
to buy and sell as and when our government's screwing it up. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, they, they, they were talking, um, they said in 2008, we must bail out the banks. Now the schools are falling down. They're going, no, we're not giving any more money. Mm. <laughs> Hang on, why not? Well, we just start educating the plebs and we can't have that now, can we? <laughs> you know, you might start getting ideas above your station. Yeah. Uh, but theatre is it's important to get those messages across because it is the only real way that difference can be made. I mean, a lot of people are influenced through television. I mean, my generation was heavily influenced by television. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's why a lot of us ended up doing drugs because most of the kids' programs we watched were because people done drugs. drugs. Yeah. Right? Um, magic roundabout. Oh, Need I say no more? <laughs> Jamie and the Magic Talks. Yeah. Mm. Right? Mr. Anyway. Ben. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Bagpuss was a stoner. <laughs> right? Anyway. Um, like the list is literally <laughs> endless, isn't you know? it? I mean, Rainbow. Who wakes up yeah. in the morning and sees a pink hippopotamus, <laughs> old pair of like yeah. khaki Levi's and a seven foot bear talking to <laughs> neighbours come round do a quick song and dance with loads of crap from the cupboard and <laughs> disappear again you know um, yeah so so through through creating that suspension of reality you can you can share ideas it creates, I've always said that there's an important phrase that we forget as adults um, and I forgot it for a while uh, and it's something that we use all the time as kids, right? You see kids, it's important that kids play rather than sit there pressing buttons and staring at a screen. It's important that kids play because that's how they work through problems, uh, physical problems, uh, intellectual problems, social problems. That's how, they, that's how we've all done it ever since the year dot and we started being this social communal animal that we are. Um, kids learn through play. Um, Do we all learn through play? Yes, absolutely. Um, because that's something that I I didn't realise as a kid that I was learning through play, but it definitely was the best way that I learned. But this, this, is, this is my point. When we get to a certain age, we stop using this really, really important two-word phrase because it's childish, it's stupid. We live in the real world now. We're adults, right? But we should use it more as adults. And that is simply, let's pretend. As soon as you've created that, you've created an entire space where you can play with anything, mm. whether that be out in the, in the world in front of you or whether that just be in your mind. You can throw around ideas. You can work out scenarios. You know, because you've given yourself that little bit of space to just suspend reality for a little while. And we don't use that enough as adults. And I, I think we should. Yeah, no, I definitely, I, I, I went, I fell upon play again by accident. Mm. Um, I went to a, an acting workshop. Okay. Um, I've actually had the, the tutor of the acting workshop on here. His name is Niall. Uh, really worth going to listen to what Niall has to say about play mm. um but yeah he opened my eyes back up to play yeah and uh it's amazing how many worries that takes takes away from you absolutely when and then, when uh, you go that this is a this is a this is a game <laughs> the beauty of play yeah is that it opens up every possibility mm -hmm. so if you're no longer laughing at a situation and you just start playing with it what 
you know, you're screwed anyway. It's not working for you. Do something. Yeah. Right. Play with it. So, so play doesn't that, just that, have that to work for theatre, does it? It no, can work it, in, in all, all aspects forms of life. life. All aspects of life. Yeah. Especially within uh, mental health mm-hmm. and stuff. Really important within mental health. Very important in schools. Because as I say, <clears throat> free imagination and pretending and play, you create your, your thinkers, you create your inventors, you create your philosophers, you know, that are needed to help us advance as spiritually and, and, and physically on this planet as a species, you know. Mm. Um, once we stop doing that, we're just uh, slaves, <laughs> drones, automatons. Yeah, yeah. You know? Uh, 1984, a lot of people go, oh, yeah, you should read 1984, it's really true. No, it is. It's really true. It's just put a little bit more prosy and poetically. It, it almost feels like 1984 is, if, if you've read it or, or seen the film or seen the play, it does feel like it's right around the corner now, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels, it, it, it started coming around, I feel, around the year 2000. Yeah. It started, something changed around that millennium time. Yeah. Um, terrorist became a. Well, that commonly, became the new fear, didn't the, it? The new because fear. All of a sudden, the mm-hmm. traditional fears weren't working. Uh, <laughs> the economy weren't doing too bad. And uh, then, yeah. So then, then you know, and and this 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 new form of control mm. through fear. Yeah. Um, and a lot of things that that don't need to stay in place have stayed in place. Mm. Uh, similar with COVID as well. So yeah. then COVID came in. Yeah, and there was all these rules put in place to protect us against COVID. Mm-hmm. Then when we didn't need to be protected from COVID anymore, some yeah. of the rules stuck. Well, yeah, because why? Well, that's the other thing about um, uh, about COVID. What COVID showed me, it showed me two things. COVID showed me two things. COVID showed me just how lonely people really are mm. you know and how difficult it is for lonely people to reconnect you know um and the other thing i saw was something that was it was lovely man <laughs> it was beautiful and that was people that would normally not give you the time of day in the street suddenly helping people mm-hmm. started acting in a social way you know, rather than competing against each other, we realised we're all in the same boat, bailing at the same frequency. So, you know, why are we creating these barriers? And mm. we, those barriers started slowing down. So there was falling. some good came from it, wasn't yeah, there? Yeah, Cause, absolutely. Because I remember back, you know, it's four years ago now that it all all started. And at the time, I remember there was a lot of people would say things. Just before it was, you know, it started in... All the big lockdowns around the world started in March, April yeah. time. Yeah. But in February, people, it was a big conversation point. And people would be saying, yeah, but I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And, and me, 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 mm. me. And like, how is my life going to adjust yeah. to looking after others? Whereas once we got into the lockdowns and the sporting community. We suddenly realised it wasn't me. It wasn't it me was anymore. Mum, it was dad. Mm-hmm. It was my mate down the road. Yeah. It was yeah, all these people that you took for granted, basically. Mm. Right? So, yeah, we started doing things for them. And maybe we don't hold on to that enough. We haven't held on to that. We're not, we're not necessarily encouraged. We're more encouraged mm. to compete. To go back to... Than we are to compromise, mm-hmm. you know, to help. Yeah, it might be a pain in the ass, but at the end of the day, you all get something out of it. 
So there was around that time there was community champions mm. that weren't cheered enough. Was no, it? obviously no. there was in the uh, NHS yeah. and, and again, but, so, yeah. yeah, and we all cheered them. We didn't cheer them enough with their pay rises. <laughs> pretend, you know, well, no, we cheered them until we suddenly went. Uh, actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We. Yeah. What scared me, what I think scared the, the, the establishment was the fact that people started acting like socialists. And we can't have that now. People helping each other out. God damn it, no. that's never good. I mean, what good has socialism ever given us? Like, <laughs> well, I think there's a... See, I would like to think there's a... We talk about, like, capitalism, socialism. Mm. And we say there's, like, it's got to be one or the other. Mm. See, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I, I feel... That that's not right. That it has to be one or the other. Point. I, I the think true, there is somewhere in between. The true art of politics is compromise. Mm. It's not saying that you're right all the time or pointing out where someone's wrong, right? It's having the balls to go, look, I don't always agree with you, but I can see the good points. But no politician does that. Nobody, no, because it's no. all about the party. It's all mm-hmm. about the power. It's all about the survival mm-hmm. of the party to maintain that power, right? And they don't give a toss who they trample on. I mean, an example, I'm not saying um, that this is why she won the election, but it bloody helped. But in uh, 1983, when Thatcher came up for a second election, uh, she won by a landslide. Right? Um, before that, yeah, she was really suffering in the polls. They were actually talking about Thatcher not winning the election, you know? Um, but then the Falklands kicked off. She sent out a task force. We kicked the shit out of the Archies. Everyone was happy. Nationalistic pride was great. Thatcher won a war. Let's vote for her. But didn't we actually learn anything from the fact that she'd just taken all free school meals and free school milk away from kids that wouldn't necessarily have access to Mm -hmm. such things? You know? Haven't we smelt a rat yet about the fact that she's not using any of that money that we've just spent on buying houses? To build more houses, hasn't anyone smelt a rat on that? I, I guess this is the problem with with a lot of politicians is that they're they're not balanced in in the things that they do. Like they no. and and we might take one thing that they do and say, oh, right, you need to be the leader of the country now for mm. one element that they that they do. So we get we get to this point with with politicians where they're like, right, they're good at this, so they can lead the country. Mm. Yeah. They're, well, no, they're saying the right things. They're saying the right things at that time. So yeah, they yeah. can do all the other things. but Election time has just become a sales pitch, right? There's no real policy. There was one guy a few years back who suddenly came up with a few policies. We decided it was a complete nutter, hated mm-hmm. Jews, uh, Jewish people, yeah, and was strictly anti-Semitic. Yeah, there were things that he'd done that were out of order and somewhat offensive to yeah. certain communities. But he was the first politician I've heard in my lifetime that actually had a policy. And it wasn't about personality and just saying what people wanted you to say and you know playing up to the crowd it wasn't about that he actually had some ideas whether they would work or not first politician i've known that's had an idea and said like we should be doing this but people mm-hmm. ridiculed him because he looked a certain way because he believed a certain thing stop looking at the personality of the politics and look at the substance yeah. of the politics no i don't i don't think the, the social landscape would allow an odd-looking person oh, God, no. to, to, to be in charge. I'd never be in charge. No, no. <laughs> I'd never be in charge, mate. Uh, and that's a good thing, yeah, trust me. Yeah, no. We're not, we're, we're not, when I spoke about Danny getting into politics, it wasn't because I'm, I'm actually saying... 
<laughs> I agree with all your opinions, Danny. No. It's because you're... Uh, no one should agree with my opinion. No, there, my opinion. there are some opinions you have that are valid. But that's uh, it. But that's, that's with every, everyone. But that's, the, that's the very that's definition it. of politics. Mm. Politics is the disagreement yes. between two ideals or two groups of people. Yeah, The art of politics is creating that compromise where you can get that, that war in faction and that war in faction to actually come together to create an idea that has all the good points from one side and all the good points from the other side. Mm-hmm. And the bad things are just thrown to one side and forgotten about because you strengthened your own argument. So where do these ideals come from within you? Um, that's a bloody good question. <laughs> where do they come from yeah. in me? Uh, through my own personal experiences. I understand how lonely I felt when I was in France. Um, I understand how empty I felt growing up when my mum went through her bouts of cancer and stuff like that. Um, I've always felt like I'm... As, as the youngest child, I'm there to create mirth, to look after, to mend, and to keep happy, keep ticking over, you know? Um, and that's what all I want to do is just try and create some sort of happiness, make people forget about any issues, any problems they've got. And to be able to achieve that, well, it's really simple. You've just got to stop expecting so much of people. You wouldn't expect that much of yourself. So why should you expect it of others? You know, don't try not to judge. Yeah, you'll have your initial judgment. Oh, he looks a bit shifty. And that I get a lot. <laughs> but don't base everything that you want to know about that person on that first initial judgment. Talk to them. Proper talk to them. Really talk to them. Find out what makes them tick. Find out their story. Because, again, theatre, life politics everything all comes down to one important thing and that is the story we need to sit down a little bit more and start listening to people's stories Mm. and we'll start realizing that we've got a lot more in common than we have that divides us and if we do still feel divided then at least we've created a space in which we can discuss it on a level without someone going oh but you're not you're being this you're being that no, I'm not. I'm just actually putting the truth in front of you. Whether or not you've got the balls to actually tackle it or you want to sit there just telling me what the problem is all the time, right? That's up to you. But if you're just going to tell me what the problem is all the time, I'm not going to listen to you until you've come up with a viable solution or an idea at least that could be worked upon or added or, you know, built upon. Mm-hmm. There's no point in just sitting there going, oh, this is wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. Well, you must know what's right then. Well, no, I don't. How do you know it's wrong? Weird philosophy. (laughs) A very important one, Danny. Uh, Tell me a little bit more about um, the points in your... I I touched on you've had some highs and lows within your your acting career. Yes. Tell Tell me a little bit some of the highs. A lot of the highs have actually been... A lot of the highs came from when I went off and started getting some work in and started acting professionally. Um, one of my biggest highs was 
still being able to come back to where I started, to be able to impart important knowledge, important information, such as if you're going into acting, the most important word that you should learn to forget and ignore is the word no. <laughs> yeah? It's not a personal statement. It's not a personal judgment. It just means that you're not fitting the idea that they've got in, your, in their head. Right? That's, are, you, are you referring to a, an audition? Yeah, when it comes to auditions mm -hmm. and stuff. Yeah, And being part of something. Uh, yeah. yeah. Never be afraid of the word no. It doesn't mean it's the end. It doesn't mean it's finished. Mm -hmm. It just means move on to the next one. And you keep doing it. And keep going and keep going until eventually someone goes, actually, yeah, you, you're fitting that picture in my head. I'll take you. Mm -hmm. You know, and it won't click for everyone all the time. It never really clicked for me, to be honest. I ticked over, done background work, done, done some uh, uh, featured work, that sort of thing. Advert in the sun paper. Yeah, hairy armpits. <laughs> and um, yeah, uh, so it's never really kicked off. But what I get but, the buzz but, from is actually being able to go back. And when you've got the young people that are going, oh, how do I do this? How do I get into acting? Because I didn't really have anyone that could help me in that way. See, isn't it, isn't it funny? So I'm sitting here and when I ask you about your, your highs in your acting career, you're jumping straight towards like, what, what did I do? What did I, what achievements did I make? But I am asking more in a way of about the things like when I first met you, you were in a pantomime. <laughs> in one of the lead roles in a pantomime. That was a, a massive community pantomime. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, so from an outsider, I see that. You haven't even touched on like your pan your panto days. No, I I loved my panto days. Mm. Uh, some of the best days I ever had, but it's still nothing more rewarding for me than being able to impart knowledge to someone that I recognise would have been me at that age. Mm -hmm. I'm able to be able to give answer the questions that they have, whereas at the time. I didn't feel that I had people that could answer my questions. So I, I, I fund, fumbled around blindly in this business we call show, you know, and I've stumbled across some good parts. I've stumbled across some crap parts. I've been disappointed. I've been elated. Um, and that's all great, personally, you know. But I like to think that one of my achievements is being able to be accessible and I won't flower things up I won't pretty it up and glamorize it I'll tell you the truth which is no <laughs> <laughs> that's it the truth is no don't get offended by it don't be put off by it it's just a word two letters nothing more you know Obviously, in other situations, no means no. <laughs> but, you know, but when it comes to theatre, when it comes to acting, when it comes to general things in life, just because someone says no doesn't mean you can't find another way. And I'm learning that more than anyone because I have missed, ignored, and screwed up so many opportunities that have come my way, right? Through laziness, through apathy through lethargy through arrogance you know i i've let opportunities go i'd probably be somewhere now if i had taken some of the opportunities that I, i'd taken when but, you say you'd be somewhere what do you envisage that somewhere to be 
I would be someone that were, that wasn't worrying about where the next paycheck's coming from. How am I going to keep the roof over the head? How am I going to get kids' school uniform and stuff? I wouldn't be someone that was worrying about that. Mm-hmm. I'd be comfortable. No, I don't. I'm not the sort of person that wants to earn all the money in the world. I just want enough to keep me comfortable and to keep those around me happy. You know, and comfortable. Uh, I don't have visions of being a millionaire or anything. A lot of people like this weird one. Uh, a lot of people talk about this whole half uh, glass half full or half empty thing. Yeah, go on. Yeah, um, half full means you're an optimist. Half empty means you're a pessimist. I'm neither of those. I like to think that I'm just happy that there's something in the glass. Because as long as there's something in the glass, you can work with that. You can do something with that. Instead of worrying whether it's going to work out or whether it's going to fail, there's something there. You can do something. As long as there's something in the glass, you're all right. You're grounded. Mm. Sorted. Use so what you've so got is there water in the glass for you right now? There's always water in the glass. There's always water in the always glass. Always water in the glass. Sometimes you don't really recognise it because you're living in the water for so long. Wet is wet. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. God, there's me with these weird metaphors. Again. <laughs> People are going to listen to this podcast and go, that case really does need that medication, doesn't he? Seriously. Um, yeah, yeah. So... Forget the optimism, forget the pessimism, just work with what you've got, use what you've got, and make the best of what you've got. And the reason why I say that so wholeheartedly is because I haven't. I haven't, and I recognise that. This is all part of like, my journey through this whole mental health thing. Mm-hmm. you know. And that's why I'm, I accept that. I take responsibility for that. So now I can... St- slowly start moving on and creating a new future with new ideas, actually trying to get off my ass and make my ideas something real. Are you open to talking a little bit about your mental health journey? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I will tell you this, and this is one for you two viewers, but uh, I really do need to use the loo. (laughs) Do you? We can can have a pause. Yeah, please do. (laughs) Yeah, you're going to have to do another clap though, so I can like two, two, three. three. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I really right, we're going to come back in a moment with uh, Danny's mental health issues. <laughs> Problems? What's the correct term? <laughs> this used to be a one hour, but we're back in the room. So, we're back in the room. So, yeah, we're, we're learning as we, as we go along with these podcasts. Like I say, we're about 20 episodes in, and um, something that's quite important to do is let your guests go to the toilet if they need to. Well, yeah, it does help, <laughs> especially with the thought process. Yes. So here we are back, and uh, on that little break there, we we started having a conversation about something else, didn't we? We started yeah. having a conversation about uh, an idea that you've got for a, well, yeah, it's for a sketch. It's you know, just one of these random ideas that you come up with you while know, you're sitting on uh, the toilet or something. Yeah, basically, actor goes to audition mm-hmm. and uh, does what he needs to do for the audition, and they sit down and they say, start asking the questions. Uh, the question is... Um, do you identify as any other gender? No. Right. Okay. Um, do you, do you um, identify as homosexual? No. 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 And this right. is in, in an audition environment? In an audition environment. Um, do you 
do you, do you class yourself as an ethnic minority? No. Ah. 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 Um. Well, as you don't seem to tick these boxes, we can't give you the part. Yeah, but hang on. Isn't that discrimination? Yes! Yes, it is! Yes, oh, we can tick that box. You get the part. Well done. <laughs> you know? And that's the audition process these days. Is, is well, you box ticking exercise. You, you say it as a joke. I, I, I've seen it as a reality, <laughs> especially in this like last five or six years. Um, now, I'm all for inclusivity. Yeah, 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 that's absolutely. first of all, and I and I think there should be opportunity for everyone. Mm. Um, however, <laughs> I have found my inclusivity has been taken away. Mm. Um, there is, I, I sign up to this thing called Spotlight, which is the major casting network within yeah. the UK. Um, I would say seventy percent of the jobs on there. I no longer fit any of the criteria. Yeah. Um, and I want there, there to be a balance. I want there to be opportunity for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I'm driving my own career. Yeah. And there is some selfishness within that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but also there is a lot of other white, middle-aged, straight males. God, yeah. I mean... So... So, what are we? Are we just now just not going to include those? Is it it no longer about talent? And it's not necessarily about talent, as I said earlier. And I'm not saying I'm not getting those jobs because I'm the most the the most talented person in the room or the least talented person in the room. I've always, as I said earlier, I've always said that if if you don't fit the image of the character they've got in their head, Mm -hmm. yeah, then obviously you're not right for the part. It's not because of who you are, what you are. It's because you're not fulfilling the picture they've got in their head mm-hmm. as the director, as the producer, or whatever. Yeah, and you're not part of that story. No, yeah. no, right? Um, and that's fine. That's fine. But having to cast someone because you're frightened that someone will say, oh, you're being racist, or you're being sexist, or you're being homophobic, it's sort of like doesn't fulfill the audition criteria mm-hmm. you're auditioning for a part not to fulfill a criteria see this conversation as well is quite vast in the fact that it even goes down to things like the oscars yeah uh the oscars there is a there is a box ticking exercise exactly, going because, on with that now because we're frightened that we might offend someone yeah rather than going this is the best film mm. this is the best director we're going no this director was black and we gave it for the last 10 years to a white guy mm. <laughs> And so, yeah, there needs to be balance. And I think the opportunity needs to be open, mm. but, the, but the art doesn't need to be constrained. No, yeah, no, absolutely. The art absolutely. doesn't, and, and I feel like this feeds into the 1984 mm-hmm. control. Yeah. The, um, especially people from the LGBTQ plus mm-hmm. community would even... They, they want things to be open and more inclusive. Yeah. Whereas actually, by putting all these li- little boxes, we're constraining everything and we're controlling everything. I had, I had um, years ago when I was looking for normal employment, mm-hmm. um, I went to the job centre. Job centre, for all you young people, is a place where we used to go to look for work. Nowadays, we do it all online. Um, and you have to fill in certain forms and everything else and have interviews, et cetera, et cetera. So they gave me this form, and it's the first time 
I remember being confronted by this list that said, um, what nationality are you? And it had this list, white British, black British, white Irish. <laughs> and it's like, wait a sec. I'm looking down all these lists, Asian, etc. And I thought, well, the thing that I am isn't on here. So I wrote on the bottom of the form, got a little box, and right next to that box I wrote human. And I ticked that box. They refused to give me any help or any benefits mm -hmm. or anything, right, until I actually told them what my ethnicity was. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. That's got nothing to do with it. Why, why, why should that matter? Why, why do you have to compartmentalize something? Surely a list like that and compartmentalization mm -hmm. actually exacerbates the problem, you know, because you're actually creating defined borders as to what is and what isn't acceptable. So, so going back to the, the art within that, that mm. this is happening within the it's happening within the entertainment industry industry yeah. as a whole, whether that's theatre, film, um, yeah, it's happening. It's happening everywhere. How do we not? How do we find inclusivity for everyone, and without controlling the art itself? Well, that's because art thing. can't be controlled. Because we went, we touched on that. It's about mm. art is about play. Mm. And you can't go right. It's I can about only suspension of reality. Yeah, I can. I can only play with with this ethnicity. Yeah, I can only play with this person of this sexuality. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> easy tiger. <laughs> yeah, but if we st if we if we do that, then we're we're, we're not playing again. No, <laughs> we're no, not, we're not. We're, we're not, not creating. We're not. We we're just rolling the dice and taking the move. Mm. You know, there's no. No room for improvisation, free thought, association, anything like that. But again, it's all part of the method of control. By dumbing all that down, we dumb everything else down. And then when we're all arguing about whether knocking down a statue in Br Bristol was the right or wrong thing to do, mm -hmm. yeah, you've got a government that's bombing the shit out of some small oil-rich company, uh, country that, you know, will later be having their people come over to our country in little boats to, and then we've got another excuse to say, well, it's all their fault coming over in a boat. How can seven people or 13 people that are trying to f flee what is, can only be described as an ap apocalyptic situation after years of bombing and mm -hmm. whatever, uh, how, how can we say that it's their fault? that we've got all the problems in this country that we have because they're coming over in boats. That makes no sense. No sense. Mm. What it actually comes down to is the fact that we spent so long bombing these countries when really we should be using, well, now more than anything, we should be using the money that we used in armaments and bombs and guns and everything else to start rebuilding what we destroyed, make their world more livable rather than expecting them just to get on in the destruction that we've created. Mm -hmm. Again, it comes down to taking that responsibility. There's, they're not doing it out of choice. They're not doing it out of any other reason but because they want a better life. The reason why they haven't got a better life is, one, they probably come from uh, uh, an oppressive political um, background or country or whatever, something that we're not used to as, as Westerners. Um, 
and we I've lost my train of thought again um and um yeah as a result we 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 look upon them as an excuse for all our woes and all our fears and all our mm. worries and it's like well no if we actually look at the root cause of the problem we look actually look at what is rather than what we perceive to be then you know we can start putting solutions in we can start creating a world where we don't need to smuggle people into the country for them to have a better life because they already have their better life because we've actually repaired because we took responsibility for what we did and i'm not saying that what we did was bad i'm not saying that what we did was good i'm just saying that once you've made a mess you've got to clean up after yourself and mm. that's what my mum taught me so where do you, we've talked a lot about the past and the present mm. the way the present world is where do you see things moving forward moving forward uh We need to make the choice as a collective to give ourselves time. Time has become a commodity in so much as we've become a commodity. Um, and you can buy and sell time these days. We call it employment. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, we, we need to be prepared to give some time to ourselves to be able to spend the money that we've earned to be able to enjoy the money that we've earned to be able to enjoy the family that we've created the friendships that we've created and once we do that and give ourselves that little bit of space we just take a minute just to slow down and maybe we can see things for what they really are rather than just a minor inconvenience or a major inconvenience depending on your point of view mm -hmm. you know and just slow down again said about mental health stuff again that's another one of the things that is adding to the pressures on the mental health system um it took me a long time to realize that i had a mental health issue yeah there was that whole blokey thing um we don't talk about that sort of thing um and embarrassment embarrassment about who i was or how I perceived myself to be, uh, the things that I was doing out of habit that weren't necessarily healthy. Um, but I was denying that. You know, that's oh, just what happens in it. You know, I wasn't really looking at the damage it was causing, not just to myself, but to people around me. Um, and it got to a point where I needed help, really. And I couldn't find it. Couldn't find it. Went to the doctor, as I say. Didn't want to do the meds. So, you know, well, there's no help for you. Uh, so I decided I'd deal with it myself. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> um, Danny knows best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's my problem. I'll deal with it. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty much was my philosophy for a long, long time. My problem, I'll deal with it. Enough said. Um, but I didn't have the strength for that. I didn't have the mental capacity for it. I didn't have the understanding or the clarity of thought. Uh, I didn't have any of these tools to be able to deal with it. And when I finally opened up and said, all right, I do need help, and I tried to look for it, again, it wasn't there. 
it just wasn't there unless I had copious amounts of money <laughs> that I could throw at it. And it's mm. like, well, no, there's something wrong here. There's something wrong here. And uh, it made me realise just how much of a poor relation the mental health area of the NHS, how poor it really is. Um, and it's simply because they know that they haven't got a super wonder drug that will wipe it out. You said that uh, I mentioned your cure. Uh, there could be a cure for it. I don't think that there can be a cure for mental health issues. Yeah, I think I think to You've got to go back that to cure, call it a cure was was the wrong thing. Yeah, was yeah, the wrong yeah. term. I think it's uh, is a supporting mechanism. Yeah, and the first steps. The first steps that I learned was in acceptance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's many things, aren't there, that you can mm. do to help yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Don't be ashamed of what you've done. Yeah, don't be down on what you've done. What you've done mm-hmm. is create who you are today. Right? Whether you like that or not, is it doesn't matter. Right? It's whether you're going to do something about it. And whether you've got the strength to want to do something about it. And I did. I did. I, I, I wanted to do something about it. Um, I ended up getting therapy and that started working for a really good long time through West Essex Mind. Um, and after 12 weeks, there was no more funding. So, you know, what does that mean I'm better now? Mm. I wasn't because, you know, I had to go back into therapy. I had to go and find more therapy. Again, West Essex Mind helped me out with that to such a point. And I can understand that because they're a charity. They haven't got unlimited funds, you know. But I think that there should be a lot more, just as much concern that was showed for COVID or would be shown if Ebola was in this country or, or, or if the plague had returned. You know, we'd be running around like blue-ass flies trying to find a cure or a, or a vaccination or something that will stop it from happening. But we don't, don't want to take that time for mental health. We don't, we can't afford to pay the professional. So we've got nothing left but to do it amongst ourselves, amongst people that don't necessarily know the techniques, the tools, the methods. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're just going for experience. And again, that goes back to something that how we discovered group therapy was uh, back in the First World War. We tried to treat people with shell shock, et cetera, et cetera nothing was working and then one day a doctor actually saw a group of people actually talking about their experiences and it made them better it made them more open more receptive and they started to improve and they started to fix and and mend Mm -hmm. you know and that's how we discovered the idea of group therapy that's all we've got to rely on is group therapy but i don't know there's a lot more knowledge in the world of mental health these days. But the only way you'll get access to that is if you've got the right amount of money. And I think that's just fundamentally wrong. Of course, there is the obvious answer is take pills. But yes, I understand that that works for some. But for a majority of people, you just need someone to sit down and talk to them. So tell me a little bit more about the things that have worked for you then. What with regards to mental health. Mm. Um, as I say, accepting being a lot more responsible for what I do. Not trying to shirk responsibility 
for my action. And rather than seeing as it, the consequences of those actions, seeing as them, uh, instead of seeing them as a blight and like out of order and wrong and bad luck and all that lot, accept it for what it is. Mm. That's the price you've got to pay for what you've done. Whether it's good or bad, that's the price you pay. You either get a buzz out of it or you feel like shit. Right? Don't live there. Never live there. But, and I said this earlier, the greatest therapy that I've ever had, and I never realised it and until about the last 10 years or so, but the greatest therapy I ever had was theatre. It was theatre. It gave me the place to play. It gave me the place to feel comfortable. It gave me the confidence that I needed to be open. And that is one of the things that drained from me so quickly was my confidence. I mean, even now, I'm, I'm nervous doing this, mm. right? Beforehand, it would have been, oh, yeah, piece of piss, mate. Let's do it. Yeah, let's have a laugh, you know? But I'm actually quite, I felt quite nervous mm. coming here today because, as I said to you earlier, people don't ask me for my opinions. I usually have to impose them upon them, <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, so so it's, it's nice and it's, it's strange. But, again, it's all therapy. And by doing this, you know, it hopefully will make someone out there suddenly go, well, you're all right, maybe it isn't that bad. Mm. Yeah, it is. It's bad. It's really <laughs> bad, right? It's going to be the bad, worst that it'll ever get, right? But there's always something. There's always something. There's always something in that glass. And as long as there's something in that glass, you've got something to work with. So give me a little bit of advice for someone out there that, has been to the doctor, the only option is to go on a waiting list to get professional therapy or here's some pills in the meantime well, one and they thing, don't want to take the pills like you. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? You, you start taking the pills, they say, after you've taken them for two weeks, right, um, you need, if you want to come off them after two weeks, you need to go and see your doctor, right? And when you go see your doctor, he says, yeah, it's going to take about six months to get you off these pills. Mm-hmm. Back on it, it, only took me two weeks to get hooked on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's going to take you six months. Otherwise, it's going to be. A sh- I-, I haven't got that time. That's another six months on top of the time that I've wasted trying to fix myself in the in in a rational, sane way. Mm. You know, um, so it's an extra monkey on your back. It's an extra pressure. It adds to your uh, mental problems because all of a sudden you go, "Well, it was easier when I was on the pills." So you keep taking the pills, and then in effect, in time, those pills no longer work. So you go to a psychiatrist. There's a difference between a psychiatrist, in my opinion, and a psychologist. A psychologist will sit there and listen. A psychologist will sit there, listen, and work out how to balance the chemicals in your body to make you feel happy again. Yeah, that's the difference, in my opinion. I'm not an educated man. I know nothing about these things apart from my own personal experiences, but that's how it comes across. Um, and there's not enough psychiatrists psychologists out there mm-hmm. because it takes a lot of time to sit down and listen to people time's a commodity <laughs> yeah. you know um, but for someone that's struggling just remember that if you wake up in the morning you're in the game you've got a chance don't dwell in the past 
because the past has been. There's nothing you can do about it, right? Whether it's good, bad, whatever. Learn the lessons from it, you know? From learning them lessons, it makes you stronger as a person. It makes you more understanding and accepting of yourself as a person. So that immediately someone accuses you of something, it isn't on the defensive straight way. You suddenly go, yeah, all right, maybe I was being a bit of a tosser. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And you find yourself being more accepting of others' criticism. Because even in the acting world, people just don't like criticism. Oh, I don't read the, I don't read the critics, darling. Mm -hmm. No, 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 never read the critics. It, it's, it's funny that, that I've, I, I would like to say I try and embrace the criticism. Yeah, and try I, I, some to, of it I find hilarious. I've even, even done that with this, this podcast. So yesterday, I know this is going to go out in the future, but yesterday to me right now uh, was the first time that I publicly told people where to go and find yeah. these podcasts and what they were called. Um, and there's, a, there's, there's sort of like 10 episodes mm. up on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. But yesterday was the first time I told people to go mm. and seek them out. Uh, this morning, I woke up to two really positive text messages. There you go. Two people, one person saying, uh, th this was wonderful to hear this open and honest conversation. Mm. This really inspired me to get back into theatre. And I was like, job done. Yeah, yeah, yeah? absolutely. Job done. Absolutely. Um, and then another person said, well done, keep at it, keep going. I'm really looking forward to see where this journey is going to take you. Yeah. Um, and then another close friend uh, said, I think you're trying a bit too hard, Martin. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think you'd, I think, think you try too hard. <laughs> well, I think, um, I think what, see, well, there, there's the construct, there was more to the conversation than that. Yeah. But the, the criticism came through, uh, there's an element of a performer in me. Yeah, because I am an actor at heart, and that's what I've been doing for the last twenty years. And today, Martin's <laughs> role as a chat show host. <laughs> yeah, and and so and so it's it's a natural thing for me to fall into those performer habits. Yeah, yeah, uh, to try and find some emotion within the speech. Yeah, um, yeah. but the thing when you're doing this, you got the camera right on top of you, you got the microphone right here. You have to be authentic. Yeah, David. You there, you there can't. Is no gray area. You can't. Um, as soon as you go, oh my passion is this. It's it's you see through it. Yeah. And yeah. so I take that constructive criticism, and I recognise that. Mm. And yeah, maybe I need a moment sometimes to see the thing that that I'm doing wrong. Mm. Or you can go with the criticism. What do they know? Yeah. What do they know? It's one of, of the two things. There's a lot it? of um, theatre pieces, uh, criticisms of theatre pieces that I've seen. And you read it and you can tell that the person that's written it mm -hmm. wasn't even at the show. <laughs> yeah. yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know? So, yeah, or uh, the, one, of the, one of the biggest th lessons that I learned with um, reviews from a play mm. was, uh, yeah, 20 years ago at the Harlow Playhouse, did Jack and the Beanstalk pantomime. Mm. reviewer came in from the local paper they normally do you know yeah. local paper local pantomime they'll do a fairly mm. nice review well this year a new person came along and they did a review and the review was a big spread and it said why the hell were there men dressed as women what's going on here <laughs> um why why is there a middle middle-aged man 
dressed as a middle-aged woman uh, talking about her underwear and all this, blah, blah, blah. It turns out that the reviewer had never seen a, a pantomime in her life because she'd come from the United States <laughs> and, okay. said, and does not yeah. get our humour. So yeah. it had all this heavy criticism and was tearing the thing apart, but it, they didn't understand what the thing was. Yeah, yeah the tradition. Yeah, the, the so you've got to look at the, the criticism in, in two ways, I guess, yeah. For me, it's that looking at it, what do they know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're not of a, an educated place to give me that, that opinion. Or, I, like I say, that person that said to me that I'm trying too hard, I do value that, that person's mm. opinion. Um, and that does come from an educated place. And I do sit back and go, yeah, I was. But also, at the same time, when you're starting out on a project for the first time, mm -hmm. yeah, you're always going to sound as though you're trying too hard. Yeah, because you want it to work. Right, because you're making so many mistakes along yes. the way. Yes. You know, that sooner or later, you get, someone's going to turn around and go, look, isn't it about time? Yeah. <laughs> right? And yeah, it's like, yeah. Well, no, because I actually believe in what I'm doing. Yeah. And I believe in my ability to be able to do it, mm -hmm. which is something that I, I lacked for a long time, was I, uh, this is when I wasn't doing theatre, um, bringing up my family and stuff. Uh, I became a house husband. Hey, mm -hmm. how very 21st century is that guy? <laughs> right, and um, yeah, I, I lost all confidence, all confidence. I used to love doing stand-up. I started doing stand-up, and I was loving doing it. I have ideas and plans with that, but at the moment, I feel I don't have that confidence to be able to do so. The reason being is because, as an actor, performer, um, like all of us, we need that appreciation. We need that applause. Mm. We need that acceptance. Yeah, the appreciation and applause definitely drives us forward. Oh, God, yeah. It definitely... Best buzz I've had. I mean, I, as I said earlier, I alluded yeah. that I, I've done various substances. It definitely feed right. off of that. Best buzz in the world. Mm. Yeah, is a really appreciative audience. Yeah. And you don't get that many these days in, in so many much aspects as of life, yeah. you can pretty much stand on the stage and work out where your audience is from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if they're... Like lolling about the place, seem disinterested. You can pretty much tell that they watch most of their stuff online. Yeah, if they're talking to each other at a volume that everyone else can hear, you pretty much tell that they're an audience that sit in front of the telly. If you've got those that are sitting quietly, intent, and completely lost in what you're doing, you know that's a theatre audience. But you can you can tell what your mm -hmm. audience is, and as an actor, you should be able to adapt yourself mm -hmm. to it so if you've got someone that's like looking a little bit disinterest in disinterested might do something that suddenly makes them go oh yeah <laughs> i'm there you know someone who's talking too much mm -hmm. you should have the ability or the confidence to be able to do something that suddenly makes them aware of just how loud they are talking you know and this is where the skills of improvisation and comedy and things like that do actually come into their fore. You know, improvisation is probably the greatest tool an actor can ever have. Because if you can improvise on stage, you can improvise in any walk of life. Mm -hmm. Because it's... I was very... So in the, in the 20 plus years I've been doing acting, I, I spent a, 
long time fearful of improvisation because mm. I came from a philosophy of a very structured mm. form of of putting theatre together or putting film together. Yeah. But acting, it was all structured. It was, these are the lines, here are the movements, uh, here is the thought process, work out, working out all this mechanical stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I can't come away from the mechanics of it. I just, I just can't. Until I'd started taking on this philosophy of play. Mm. And that there is no mistakes. There is no going wrong. I think it was Edison that turned around and said, um, it took me 500 attempts to create the light bulb. So what, did you have 499 failures? No, I just learned 499 ways of not creating the light bulb. Mm -hmm. You know, there's yeah. nothing wrong as such. It's whether it works. Yeah. And, it, and, it, I, and I, you've got to just, you've got to keep trying and exploring different ways yeah, of and, making uh, something and work. The, uh, the best example for that for me was when I started doing stand-up comedy. Mm -hmm. I thought I was funny. Yeah. I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Big surprise there, guys. <laughs> but, um, I wasn't. You know, I was humorous, but I wasn't funny. Stand-up funny. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you're standing there with just a microphone and your own material, then you start realizing just how much you've got to be prepared to adapt either your audience or to the material that you're using, you know? And the only way you can do that is by having the confidence to go off script. Yeah. Um, I had a discussion with uh, an old um, theatre tutor of mine when I was at college, and it basically said uh, we were having a discussion amongst ourselves as a group, and in the discussion someone was saying, oh, you can teach people to be actors. And my philosophy is you can't teach someone to be an actor. Yeah. Um, they either do it or they don't, you know, um, and then the drama teachers come in. She's gone. Uh, no, no, no. You've got, you can teach people to be an actor. No, no, I don't think you can. Oh, and what would you know? Oh, from my experience. Oh, so what's the point of my job? Then? Well, the point of your job is to take that talent, that raw talent. Yeah smooth off the rudge veggies, polish it up, make it presentable. You know, there's people, we act, everybody acts every single minute of the day. Mm -hmm. You act away in front of your friends, you act away in front of your family, you act away in front of your uh, work colleagues. You know, you're always acting. Difference is, have you got the balls to stand up in front of four to 500 people, yeah, and just put yourself on the line? Make a complete fucking arse of yourself. Yeah, and I guess that's where... Without feeling any sort of remorse for doing it mm. or guilt or, you know, some sort of... Reaction. And actually, it, it's often considered that actors are the ones with a, with a massive ego. And but, a lot of them do. And, and some of them do. But actually, on reflection, it's controlling that ego is a massive part mm. of it. Yeah. Isn't it? Is I've, it, known, going I've that, known a that lot it's... of people that have um, played a particular role. Mm. And then they've continued playing that particular role many months after that role has no longer been needed. And it's like, well, stop living part. It's, at the end of the day, it's like putting on a coat. Mm -hmm. See, I learned all this thing about Stanislavski technique, method, uh, and all that. Yeah, I, I've never used any of them. 
really maybe borrowed now and again, but I've never really my technique, my my way of characterization and building your character is when I was at college <laughs> This sounds really weird and creepy, right? But I used to sit in uh, Broadwalk by the obelisk in the Harlow Town Centre and uh, just watch people as they go by, you know? And um, sometimes I'd make up little stories between people as they walk past each other and caught a glimpse or something like that. And I'd create a little story or something like that. And eventually I'd feel like I had an understanding of that person. So that if ever I was said, uh, it was said that um, I needed to be this particular person, I've spent time knowing that person to a point. What I do is I borrow them for a little while. And like I said, like a coat, I put them on. And I become them for a little while with a little bit of me in it. And then when I'm done, take the coat off, give it back. Don't live the role. Mm. You know, it's a job. Switch off. Otherwise, you just, you just become, I don't know, a, a very, very stereotypical lovey. <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, yeah. You know, acting is a job. Switch off. Never be afraid to be yourself. Always be yourself. If you offend people along the way, apologize. Ask why. Try not to do it again and see if you can actually take away that offense from them by getting them to understand it from a different point of view. Mm-hmm. And again, that's what I want to try and do with the mental health thing. The whole mental health thing. During COVID, what I realised was just how lonely people were and disconnected they were. We started up a group on a Friday with Harlow Rock School um, called uh, Music Box. And it was basically all the instruments were out. Just people turn up, have a chat, smack some drums, strum some guitars, whatever. You didn't have to be musically orientated or anything. The whole point of it was it was a space where you can come and just reconnect with people with no pressure no pressure if you didn't want to play an instrument we'll sit down we'll have a cup of tea a few biscuits have a chat it really didn't matter and we are all very disconnected from one another uh we need to reconnect and one of the best ways of that through play through theater through imagination through all the things that are almost denied us yeah if we didn't go out and find for ourselves because as my mum said, when I said I was going to be an actor, why don't you go out and get a proper job? Christ, my mum thought I was gay for about 15 years. Through, through because just I, being I, I wanted to be in theatre. <laughs> so obviously you have to be gay to be in theatre, don't you? Yes, yeah. And it's like, no, no. But she came from a generation that had different views, mm-hmm. points and stuff. And you can't judge someone on that. If that's how they were brought up and that's the way... Whether you think it right or wrong, you can guide them in the right direction if you think you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Otherwise, point out their fault, but don't chastise them for it. Re-educate if you can. Yeah. So have you got any words of wisdom that you would like to wrap this podcast up on, Danny? Have I got words <laughs> of wisdom? Oh, dear. Yeah, that, um, sh- shall I narrow that question? Yes, please. Within the, the... So we've talked a lot about the benefits of, of theatre mm-hmm. for your mental health. And this is called the Creative Academy podcast. Yeah. We've also talked a lot about politics. Yeah. Um, but yes, let's, let's narrow that to giving words of wisdom for your younger self. My younger self. Don't believe your own bullshit. 
because that gets you into places that you you'll never understand because you don't know yourself well enough um believe in yourself accept responsibility for your actions and your thoughts and just be honest with people honesty is important again as a, one of the most dishonest jobs in the world is acting because you've got to pretend to be other people you know and you've got to convince other people that you are other people <laughs> you know so it's in a way it's a dishonest trait but at the same time it is just in the realms of play don't ever take it into your real life because then it doesn't become the therapy that it is the job that it is and it all gets confused and then you start setting yourself unachievable goals which leads to disappointment which then leads to downturns and mental health issues etc etc be yourself believe in yourself accept yourself and don't hurt anyone along the way that's it nice that's a beautiful way to to wrap this up what i'd like to do is when, once this goes out mm -hmm. sit down and watch this we'll both sit down and have a have a watch have a laugh have a laugh <laughs> watch your back go what the hell are those guys what are they talking are you about you sure he weren't on something <laughs> while he was doing it no, who knows actually. we'll sit back we'll watch this mm -hmm. and then we'll do straight from watching this we'll do another one yeah right. yeah we'll do a follow-up a part two yeah and we'll pull apart yeah we'll rip the arse yeah out of, out of what we've just said yeah yeah winner. because we've said things that are wrong winner. haven't yeah. we We've yeah. said we like we we try and cover our asses by well, saying in, 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 we have no idea what we're talking about. In the process about. of um, conversation, mm -hmm. you're going to suddenly have an idea of, that you haven't fully formulated in your yes. head. Yes, you know what you mean, yeah. but you don't know we, the we didn't, words. None of this was scripted. No. Yeah, there was some basic. Yeah. You know, I had my. I I don't know if you noticed, but I, I've I've got some notes here, questions that I would like to to ask Danny. <laughs> <laughs> I basically went about about 15 minutes where I went that's yeah, yeah we'll let's throw that, that. Let, let, let's throw that aside because <laughs> that isn't no gonna, no I'd like that that I'd isn't like that gonna work yeah I like ripping apart what I do mm. yeah I can't take it seriously yeah well we that's this is no how point we in taking everything this, seriously that's how we can build on it that's how we you that's know? how we build and make this this better and how we move forward yeah, yeah absolutely yeah so cheers absolutely. Danny no worries man Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you. Madman for letting me say what I say. <laughs> All right. Thanks again, Danny. Yeah, likewise. Cheers, mate. Good luck, people. That was the BTS Creative Academy podcast, Uncut. I appreciate you joining us for this conversation. If you'd like to drop into more conversations, just search the BTS Creative Academy podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And to make sure you don't miss any future episodes, don't forget to like and subscribe.